IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we review the new album by The Weeknd. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, he should have headlined Coachella this year, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I mean, maybe it's just that, you know, I know Uproxx has some pull and you got that book coming out that every time that there is a festival, maybe not Coachella, but more like Innings Festival or Tree Fort, like the real iChart ones, I still like reflexively look to see, hey, maybe we're on it this year? But we, yeah, invite us to your festival. Really? We could be on the bill. We can outdraw some of these <laughs> smaller print indie bands, I think. Yeah. We've got some, you know, clout in the podcast sphere. We really do. And I mean, on Coachella, I think the real eye chart test is uh like is your very real hardworking band in smaller font than Emo Night? Like, can you imagine being <laughs> code orange? Like a band that's like grinded it out for like 10 years in the metalcore realm. They get on Coachella and like you need like an electron microscope to see them. Whereas Emo Night is like, oh yeah, like you don't need the, you don't need the bifocals to see that. Or like Black Midi. They're on like the, Black Midi's about the size of Emo Night on the poster. Yeah, that's brutal. (laughs) It it just made me think about like, what if like music critics had to be subjected to this, that like your byline... (laughs) was as big as your clout. So like someone who's like really well known has, you know, the headliner text. Whereas if you're just grinding it out as a freelancer making fifty bucks writing record reviews, you get like the small type. Don't yeah, don't knock fifty that, bucks for an album review. It took me a long hey, we've time all to been make there. that. <laughs> we've all been there. Yeah. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that that would be quite the ego leveler if you <laughs> had your self worth defined by a font size. So I, I have sympathy for these bands yeah. uh we, sh- we should say uh yeah coachella they announced their uh lineup this week and uh, for those who didn't see it the headliners are harry styles kanye west billy eilish and swedish ha- S- swedish house mafia yes um if you look at the uh even in the smaller print very few indie rock bands yeah or relatively few and it seems like we have i mean it, it, this has been the case for a while at coachella but it seems like even the expectation now that rock bands would be booked there is gone. Because I remember for a while, you know, the Coachella lineup would get announced and then you would always see the think piece where someone says, rock is dead because it's not at, you know, you can't see rock bands at Coachella anymore. Yeah. I feel like we're past that now. Like people, it's like, no, this is not a rock festival. It's Coachella. They're attracting all the hype beasts from the L.A. area. This is the kind of music that they like, and this is what draws people. Uh, yeah, I mean, even last night, I, 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 you know, I would see friends of mine posting about Coachella, you know, being in Southern California, and how, like, in the good old days, like in 2013 or whatever, when you could see like, like Red Hot Chili Peppers, two years removed from like I'm with you headlining. It's like, or like, or Phoenix. That's a crazy year. Yeah, yeah Phoenix. I, yeah, the Stone Roses. Oh, that, that was year? like that was so legendarily bad. Like, first off, like the Stone Roses, like they're not even like my bloody Valentine as far as like bands who released one iconic album then just kind of went away for a bunch of years. Like that, that, that draw that like was so 
catastrophically bad. They like had to switch the next week and have Blur headline, and like that wasn't that much better. I was gonna say Blur. I don't know how well they would do. I, I guess they would do marginally better than Stone Roses, but I, I, was that the beginning of the end of them booking rock bands as headliners? Because I mean that that because that seems like an insane bill, like that you'd have Phoenix headlining yeah. Coachella or certainly Stone Roses. I, I haven't. I'm trying to think of the progression of of headliners. My last year going to Coachella was 2015. That was the year that um, Drake headlined. Um, and you know the previous year, fourteen, you had Muse and Arcade Fire and Outcast as headliners, which you know, like Muse, I don't recall what album they released at that time. To be real with you, like Outcast, I think was that like, was Drones. I think Drones. Ma- was yeah, that, that sounds about right. Also, like Drake <laughs> was like, or Outcast, just terribly disappointing. They totally didn't want to be there. 2015. I'm look. This is the last year I went. ACDC. Uh, headlined Jack White wow. and Drake. Wow. Yeah, you just you can just tell that there were like some older rock dude fans still booking shows there. It was like wishful thinking that we're gonna book. Like I wonder how ACDC did. They were great. I mean I mean I'm sure they're a great band, but I'm just wondering how they went over with that crowd. Pretty good. Like I remember that being like that Friday night is the one that you can book maybe like the 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 third like the third biggest or like the third biggest draw because you know most people just come for Sunday and um, yeah I mean I think they did pretty well with the classic rock line with the classic rock people um, yeah it was it was it was fun it was definitely was that fun. when Axel was singing with them no or no no was, no that was, I would still Brian remembered. Johnson <laughs> okay but I remember I saw them I think the following year right before Brian Johnson left yeah. and then brian johnson subsequently came back but then axel was no, the lead was, singer i wish i would have seen the axel same ACDC. that would have been i mean that would have been amazing yeah they, these that was pretty good but i mean uh yeah 2015 i that was the last year that i covered coachella and probably the last year that it was rock based then look i yeah coachella is not they don't have to reflect what you and I listen to. Like they, they're way. Oh, of course, I, I think the bigger deal is that not Coachella, but Bonnaroo's lineup this year. Because like, th- no matter what the trends have, um, you know what what trends have been hashed out over the years, they've tried to stay true to like a jam lineup. And now I think like Tool and J Cole are headliners. Yeah, and and uh, well, it's, on Friday it's J Cole, the Chicks. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. And and Alin. Illinium? I don't know. I'm too old to know who that is. Uh, and then Saturday, it's Tool, Flume, and 21 Savage. Okay. Sunday, it's Stevie Nicks, Machine Gun Kelly. Yep. And Roddy Rock Rich. is Machine back, Gun baby. Kelly. Yeah, there you go. Uh, one thing I will say for Bonnaroo is that uh, Goose, who are the best young jam band yeah. in America right now, they're uh, built higher than Bleachers and Japanese Breakfast yeah. on, on Friday. So that that's a small concession to the jam world. That uh, Goose would get a solid, I guess, the third line they're on. I, uh, right behind King Gizzard and the War on Drugs. I also like the fact that they have Tool and, and Pussifer. Uh, you're getting like the Maynard <laughs> double dip right there in the same way Coachella's got uh, Caribou and Daphne. Uh, both Do you th- think uh, Bonnaroo asked for Pussifer or that Maynard insisted on also doing Pussifer because he wanted to double dip. Yeah, they get feet. them, get 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 a perfect circle. I mean, go for the trifecta. Ooh. Like all Maynard all weekend. Going back to Coachella, <laughs> I was thinking about you know indie bands, rock bands that still could 
headline Coachella. Yeah. I was just trying to think, like, who could you say? So let's, I just want to do a quick lightning round with All you. All right, lightning about, round. About, like, like, if you think these acts could headline. Uh, Tam and Paula. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say Absolutely. yes. Absolutely. They have headlined, haven't they? They have headlined. Um, I don't know. Like, I think I, – I don't know if they're – I, I think they could be a Friday headliner now. Like, can, given the fact yeah. that like the the door is open to sign, you know, to to have the biggest pop acts in the world play. Like, I don't know if Tame Impala competes with say, uh, you know, Billie Eilish or whatever. But yeah, that you put them on Friday and no one is mad. How about Vampire Weekend? They've headlined before. Uh, could they do it now? You think? Ugh, I don't. I don't. I yes. Eileen, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I I would. It would depend on how their next record does. Yeah. But I, I lean maybe on Vampire Weekend. What about Haim? <laughs> yeah, that's a possibility. I still, yeah, I, I think that they could, but they seem more like second line. Like, they yeah. seem like second liners, yeah. I think they could maybe because it's Southern California. I think they could. Yeah. That's what makes me say yes, but yeah. I, they could do it in a pinch borderline. if, like, Frank Ocean headlines and then decides <laughs> to, to to dip. Which has happened before at FYF. So, Heim, like, yeah, I think you could do that. They're just, yeah, just bring a van to the San Fernando Valley, <laughs> bring them out to Coachella. They'll, yeah. they'll be there in a couple hours. Um, Bonnie Vare. No. You think Bonnie Vare? No. You don't think he could? No. I mean, he's he's badmouthed Coachella a lot. I don't think he would want to do that festival. Uh, he's played it. They did really well. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. That was a while it. ago, though, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, no, but they, 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 don't, they don't have, like, they're not headliners. See, they're arena headliners, though. Yeah, but there's a difference. Like, okay. the, you got to be like, not like Boney Vare. Like, I, I would say is a, a second, a second, li- a top liner, but not. What headline. if, what if Kanye was going to show up for a couple songs? Does that bump them up to the headliner status? I feel as if like Kanye and Boney Vare have played the same year, and that didn't happen. Okay. All right. I I probably I probably lean no on that. I, again, I also think that he wouldn't do it now because after he started his own festival, he yeah. started bad mouthing Coachella. But hey. I I feel like he could do it more than you could. But yeah, I'm still maybe yeah. leaning no yeah. on him. Uh, the war on drugs. No. 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 Yeah. They couldn't. No. Uh, they're on the second line of yeah. uh, Bonnaroo. Yeah. They're kind of. I feel like the, the that'd be true of the national too. I don't. I can't. Say yeah. The they're they're as big as they're gonna get. I think. Yeah, and, very solid. Yeah, but uh, and also the audience skews older. Yeah, I think for those bands. Well, Turnstile. No, <laughs> not well, not now. But like, what do you think? Maybe like five years from now, do you think uh, they could do it? Nah, I mean, their 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 font right now like is still they're a bit higher up than say Japanese Breakfast, but still lower than like way lower than like say still Woozy. Um, Turnstile, like they're I. There, I would. I'm happy that they're playing, but no band like that is it. Like I, I would love for them to level up even further beyond like what they're doing right now. But this, if this is the turnstile ceiling, which I think it is, uh, yeah, I think I, I just want to see them like uh, maybe may, maybe reach the headliner status at like you know a rock on the range or something like that. I wonder if turnstile would ever be tempted to do. Like the panic on, in the disco thing, where they have a song like "High Hopes," just like a total <laughs> pop song. Like if they would ever go that far, I, I would, I would, I, I would love it if you know, like in some way, like in the past couple of years, like um, you know, maybe like War on Drugs or like uh, have been kind of called on by like pop artists, like whether 
Turnstile is going to be like called in to like guest on a, uh, I don't know, like a weekend album or something like that. Well, we'll talk about this yes. later. I think he certainly could have fit on the latest weekend record. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I wonder how interested Adam is in that. He might be. He's a huge studio rat. So yeah. he might just like want to get in the studio with Max Martin and bang yeah. out some jams at some mm-hmm. point. Um, Arcade Fire. No, they have not done, anymore. They've done it like twice. They've done it twice. It seems like they've maybe gone past their peak. Yeah. So I'm going to say no too. No. LCD Sound System. No. Absolutely no? not. Have they ever headlined? Yes, I think they have. And was they, that on their comeback year? Um, I want to say it was maybe like 2010. Uh, okay. Like maybe like they like right now. I think they could like potentially headline like say Pitchfork Festival, and it would be kind of cool. But like, um, yeah, I, I don't think that. Uh, I like they, they actually LCD Sound System headline Coachella 2016. Okay, yeah, the um, comeback year then. Yeah, and you know what? Like they're, I, I, I just don't think they they're the draw they used to be. Not for the Coachella yeah. crowd. Yeah, I would. Again, they seem like they skew older. Yeah, I'm and not New sure. York, not LA. So yeah, yeah, I'm but, not sure if the kids are listening to LCD. Yeah. Um, Arctic Monkeys, maybe. Yeah, they're a maybe for maybe. Me too. I think that the last album really took a lot of like, I don't like I I. I think maybe it just really depends on what direction their next album goes in. Yeah, they seem to be a band that has some younger fans. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, like they, more they, so they, than they, any of the bands that you've mentioned so far, right. they could. Yeah. Um, how about some Legacy X? What about Radiohead? They've done Radiohead? it like a billion times. They've done it. They, I think they did it last in 2018. Yeah. I think they could still do it. I think they're the only band that they're generation or one of the only bands of their generation that could yeah. still do it um the strokes do you yeah, think the strokes probably could? i think so too maybe like a friday night slot as yeah. you're saying yeah i mean it wouldn't be like uh oh wow strokes are playing but like oh yeah the strokes are playing like they they draw way big so yeah yeah they're they're like a i feel like they're a t-shirt band now like yes you, absolutely you, if you want to wear a t-shirt of an old rock band you get a stroke shirt um what about the chili peppers you know, we just talk, we're talking about 2013. They were a headliner. Mm-hmm. It's SoCal. It's Californication. Yeah, I feel like they could. Sure. I th- yeah. I'd say yes for them. Yeah, at, they could. At Coachella, I think at Coachella they could. Um, I don't think the Foo Fighters could. Uh, I think they could. I think the Foo Fighters could. I think the Red Hot Chili Peppers could. I don't know if they got like wild and book like Pearl Jam. Maybe like I can't envision that, but. I can't see Pearl Jam. I, yeah. I, because, and look, i Pearl Jam fan. I've obviously written a book about them coming out later this year, but they don't seem to have any real cachet with younger people. Like, they haven't had, like, a hit in mm-hmm. the last 10 years. Like, the Chili Peppers still had, they still have had hits, like, during the uh, Klinghoffer era. Like, wasn't, <laughs> the Kling- wasn't, wasn't, like, Rain Dance Maggie, or wasn't that a hit? No, it, I mean, it was technically, like, that, by the way, one of the dumbest songs I've ever heard in my life. Um, What's the full title? It's the like Adventures the of Rain Dance Maggie, <laughs> which is, I think it was like kind of like a a, a minor rewrite of uh, Danny California. Like, right, right. I got, like, Adventures of Rain Dance Maggie. I mean, Danny California is, like, also, like, one of the worst songs that, like, I've ever heard on the radio. This is sort of, like, Rain Dance Maggie is worse. That said, Chili Peppers, they're like a plug-in. It's like, oh, yeah, let's just throw Chili Peppers on there. You well, can do that. With Freshante coming back, yeah, I you think can it, do it. 
it, they, it's a fresh excitement. They're doing a stadium tour this year. I think. Yeah. I, I feel like there's like goodwill yeah. brewing for the Chili Peppers mm-hmm. j- just in the air. Uh, now that uh, Freshante's back in the fold, yeah. so I, I think they could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you two? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You think so? Absolutely. Do you think people would actually see them? Yes. There. Yes, yeah. I absolutely think that would be like. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Uh, U2, easy. That's a, that's an easy one. I mean, I feel like that will happen eventually. I feel like Bono is going to want to you know, do the thing where he's like, we're reapplying for the role of biggest band in America the... or biggest band in the world, and we're going to do Coachella. You know, Cause, I mean, they've done um, uh, Glastonbury. Yeah. So why not do Coachella? Yeah. Uh, has Coldplay done Coachella? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. They could headline still. Yeah, absolutely. Still. Very much so. What about, uh, this is just me doing wishful thinking. Let's say there was an Oasis reunion. Oh, easy, easy head. Like, you do, like, if you can get Oasis to play Coachella, you do that. That would maybe be the first time I would go to Coachella. Yeah. I've never been to Coachella. I'd like to see them see Oasis at Coachella. Yeah, I, 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 I think Oasis, perhaps more so than some of the bands you've mentioned so far, like, are kind of an influence, like, are respected, are loved. And it would be, by, by by younger bands. And also, it would be an event in the way that, like, Chili Peppers or Foo Fighters wouldn't be. Like, you get a... Now, granted, like, I am prepared for, like, Oasis to play, and, like, it's nowhere near as, like, you know, momentous as seeing them play, like, a British festival, but... Or, like, a European one, for that matter. But, like, you... Like, I think that, like, Oasis playing Coachella is just something that's, like, years in the making. It'll oh, happen. Man. Oh man! And I, yeah, I so saying. and I hope it's like just the most terrible set where they fight and they like they fight with each other in the middle. Like I, I, I want the full Oasis experience. I want it to be great, and then they argue at the end. Yes, like, play like ninety percent of a great set, and then do acquiesce and get into a fight <laughs> during the song. That 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 would be beautiful. Yeah. Um, Let's go to our mailbag segment yes. here, and uh, thanks again, everyone, for uh, writing into us. Our mailbag is getting a little light. We've done a bunch of mailbag segments, I feel like, recently, so please hit us up with your questions. We've had some amazing letters lately, uh, so just hit us up. We're at uh, IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. God, man, are we in our LCD sound system arcade fire, like, uh, downward slide phase? No. Ah, no. Nah. No way. Okay. I don't think so. All right. No. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> although if we are, that means that we're getting paid bank to do crypto events. So we that's are. So and I just want to say, if you are a cryptocurrency magnate, we 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 are very open to ideas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll hash out trends for yeah. a fee. Absolutely. Uh, do you want to read this question? Yes, I do. All right. So this comes to us from Curtis from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Once again, IndyCast yes. doing, doing doing numbers in Canada. Yep, IndyCast uh, stronghold for sure. <laughs> love the show and hope this letter can find the top of the old mailbag. Well, Curtis, here you are. I, I Dreams hope come fe- true. I hope it feels as good as you hoped. Uh, I revisited some... Okay, now, I should have looked up how to pronounce Ockerville River before... I think that's it, Ockerville River. Yeah, this is a great opportunity right. because we've just had some really incredible pronunciations from you <laughs> over the past year. So, anyway, no, I'm pretty sure that's right. Although, yeah, I am not an authority on pronunciations, but I'm pretty sure that's 
the right way to say All right. Ockerville River. So Curtis revisited some of Ockerville River's discography over the holidays, and it dawned on me they have a pretty much been memory hold since their prolific mid-aughts. They're seemingly absent uh, in the mid-aughts indie revival that's been happening lately, particularly as contemporary acts, My Morning Jacket, Spoon, Animal Collective, for example, release new records and have lots of coverage on their influence and impact. They also don't seem to have the indie album turns 10 cottage industry the same way as their contemporaries. This feels odd for a band that had a five-record run of well-reviewed albums in the aughts, and they might even pass the trademark hide-in-five album test. So... Ah. So this leads me to wonder, was this a critical miss of the time, or is there something about their work and acts they influenced that has made them uninteresting for a look back? Very good question, Curtis. Appreciate you uh, writing in. So Ockerville River, uh, as Curtis said, he, they really had their prime in the mid-aughts. I guess you would say Black Sheep Boy mm-hmm. is their most famous record. That got some anniversary coverage, didn't it? It did. I do recall that they. I think they did a reissue. They definitely did a tour behind it, and uh, I know Will Chef did uh, quite a few interviews about that album. So, yeah, I, I think there was uh, – also, this was seven years ago. So, you know. If- yeah, it, yeah. It's, uh, they didn't get any 15-year anniversary love. Maybe they get 20. I don't know. But, yeah, it was that record and the stage names, the record after it. Those yeah. were the two big ones. Yeah, the, and that, like it's the worst possible – like if you were big in 05 to 08 like they were, like this is the worst possible time for the cottage like you're the longest possible time between your 10 year and your 20 year look back so i get where curtis is coming from but you know it's it's just kind of the nature of uh the cottage industry well what do you think of ockerville river i guess what do you think about them at the time and how do you feel about them now all right so i mean i i remember seeing black sheep boy on like the like you know like the number 34 or 45 slot on the year end lists of uh 2005 i was vaguely familiar love that record love love like that to me is like a, a prime example of like what what do you want indie rock to sound like yeah that's it right there and um but to that point i think ockerville river like they're any given year, there are the band, like the big Hall of Fame A-list type bands that determine the narrative. And then there are the ones who kind of draft on draft on that, you know, who can fit within the what what indie rock is at the time. And, you know, like they remind me a little bit of Arcade Fire. They have horns. They have these big cathartic uh, yelling sprees. They got uh, they're kind of literate and uh academic like the decemberists they got really meta on the stage names and stand-ins like hold steady um but you know they never had one thing that made you think oh this band sounds like ockerville river you know and um and 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 it's just the kind of nature of music criticism that like these are the bands that are are the churn when the new generation comes in because uh, you know, they're not bit like you stop getting like the profiles done because like, oh, we covered them last album cycle. Um, and you know, the old guy at the publication is now like me is like giving your record like a 7.6 in the D slot. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, with a band like this, like you either have to continually like top yourself in very obvious ways or you just end up like what Ockerville River is like, I mean, they describe themselves as a mid-level band even at the peak of their success. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that they just kind of played out the natural uh, lifeline of a mid-level indie rock band. You know, they they put out consistently good records, but none that would make a casual listener 
especially one who's like trying to put whatever the past couple of years of indie rock did aside to say, oh yeah. Like, I mean, here, one thing I will say about Ockerville River is that bands of this nature, like, you know, like Antlers, for example, or like Symbol Z Guitars, who were like that sort of all-star band, like, but kind of became like, once the narrative moved on, they were put aside. If you want bands to sound like that, you got to go into the emo realm. Like bands like this are still really loved uh, by uh, people in this world. And, you know, if Ockerville River wants to reinvent themselves as like a band that plays like fest, I think they could do it. Yeah, I mean, I think they would be classified as emo if they came out now. Absolutely. I mean, this is one of many bands from that era that would now be slotted in like an emo realm or like, a, like an acoustic punk type realm, you know, that whole world. <laughs> Ockerville um, River, folk punk, like covert ops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I think it's very telling that when you were talking about them that you were referencing other more well-known and I think overall better bands, you know, Arcade Fire, The Decemberists, yeah. uh, groups like that. And I think even in their prime, Ockerville River was always like the third or fourth best band doing mm-hmm. what they were doing. You know, again, very good. I like black sheep boy and the stage names i haven't listened to those records in a long time but this is the epitome of the band of a band that's going to appeal to the indie cast listener you know <laughs> the deep listener who wants to dig deep into like the mid-aughts indie world and hear all these different bands uh but for a more casual listener you know it reminds me of debates that people have about who gets into like a sports hall of fame like i was listening to uh, pardon the interruption this morning and they were talking about the pitcher john lester who just retired and he played for the red sox and the cubs he has like 200 career wins he won three world series championships and they were saying like he's kind of the epitome of the pitcher who was always really good but he was never like he never won a cy young award he yeah. was never at any moment considered the best in the game and it's always hard in retrospect where do you put someone like that uh, because we tend to remember the people at the top and then everyone else kind of fades away because there's only so many bands you can remember uh, <laughs> from the past. Again, unless you are an IndieCast listener, we can remember people all day long. Yes. Um, so yeah, I would say with Ockerville River, if, if this is a band that you haven't heard of yet, I would go back and listen to Black Sheep Boy and I'd listen to Stage Names and some of the records around there. There was a record called The Stand-Ins, which was... In essence, like yeah, companion piece to stage names, outtakes record. Um, I think they're worth revisiting. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, like they're like a B B plus band. Yeah, you know they're not an A band, but they're a B plus band. They made some good records. Yeah, and you know that's always the explanation of like, oh, how come people don't remember this band? It's like, well, you know, like yeah, I'm surprised you pulled out the John Lester reference. I thought like the remember. See, this is why Innings Festival needs to fucking book us. Exactly. We can we can switch hit. We can you know? yeah, we can remember some guy like we are legend in two games when it comes to remembering some guys. So Yeah. I mean the innings booker, if he's not listening to our show. Yeah, I know. <laughs> get him a, get, get another booker because that guy or woman needs to be listening to this show for, for tips for that festival specifically. That's that's a total indie cast type festival. Yeah. Um well, let's get to the meat of our episode. Yes. Uh and we're gonna be talking about uh one of the biggest pop stars in the world who came from the indie world. And of course, that's The Weeknd. Mm-hmm. We talked about The Weeknd almost exactly a year ago, um, around the time that he performed on the Super Bowl. Right. And uh, on that time, 
we uh, talked a bit about the indie R&B movement of the early 2010s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want to hear us talk about that, I recommend going back to that episode. I think it's February of 2021. Uh, so we're not going to talk so much about that. We're going to focus on the new weekend record, which is called Dawn FM. It's his fifth album. Uh, that's not counting the three mixtapes that he put out at the beginning of his career that were packaged together as trilogy. Apparently those don't count in the official progression of albums. Kissland is the official first album by the weekend, but I think people consider like House of Balloons from yeah. 2011 to be his first album. Uh, but anyway, uh, the new album, Dawn FM, it's the follow-up to uh, the weekend's 2020 album, After Hours, which spawned the song Blinding Lights, uh, which was recently named by Billboard magazine the biggest hit of all time, huh. displacing the twist by Chubby Checker yeah. from 1960. Wow. So, you know, 60 years, <laughs> Chubby Checker reigned supreme until the weekend came along. Uh, that song, I believe, has been uh, streamed 2.7 billion times on Spotify. Uh. Just ridiculous amount of spins for that. And now he's made this new record. And uh, once again, he's working with some longtime collaborators, Max Martin, of course, who's like one of the most famous pop producers of all time. And one of Trick's Point Never, who's like one of his most long-standing collaborator so you have a very pop producer and you have a very sort of indie cool producer mm-hmm. coming together and that's basically where the weekend lands on this album somewhere between those two worlds um i know how i feel about this record but i'm curious what do you think of dawn fm this record's getting really good reviews mm-hmm. people seem to love it uh it was a surprise release i think i forgot to mention that the weekend dropped a press release last week yeah. and the album dropped a few days later how are you feeling about this record well I think first and foremost, we have to acknowledge the possibility that The weekend might be listening to IndieCast. I know that he... Oh, man. He, he, he said in an interview that, you know, he reads all of his reviews. And just a quick aside, I know, like, um, I remember I review like, I was the type of guy who would review Trilogy back in 2012. And, um, I, I, you know, the night that album, that review went live, like... Uh, it's kind of a personal aside. Like I was on like an okay Cupid date or something like that. And I like, you know, gone to the bathroom or whatever. And I get an email alert that 40, the guy who produced uh, a lot of the early stuff, uh, like wrote me an email, like a long email, like very grateful about the things I said, like, and this was like an hour after this thing posted. So I would not put it past the weekend, even in even as he's displaced uh, Chubby Checkers, The Twist, and Magic's Rude as the biggest hits of all time. Very well, maybe listening to this right now. So, um, yeah, that'd I, be awesome. Yeah, that would be really cool. Or maybe like one of his underlings, they're <laughs> going to like produce a transcript that he can read because you know he may not have time to listen to a podcast but he might yeah par- party next door or something like that or maji jo- no wait, those are drake's people never mind but um yeah as far as dawn fm like um i think i've intentionally like i've listened to this album with more intention than i've had weekend albums in the past first because yes it is becoming like more critically acclaimed than uh previous weekend albums and also it's you know it came out on January 7th. What the hell else do I have to listen to? Um, and um, I don't know. Like, I mean, I at first listen, I, I really like the first song because it has like those really 
uh, bizarre uh, tuned vocals. It's like, okay, maybe he's doing a little something different. Um, it's fine. Like, I, I think that it's fun to listen to just as a sense of like where pop is right now or like what songs I'm going to hear in 7-Eleven for like the next year. But um, yeah, I, 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 I just get a weird sense of it. Like people comparing it to like Thriller or whatever is sort of a, if you can't beat them, join them sort of thing. Yeah. Like have people just like kind of accept, like, cause I think in the past, you know, prior to maybe after hours, there was a bit of like trying to reckon with the weekend. Like, uh, you know, this person is super popular, but as far as pop stars go, it's kind of a blank slate. Like we don't know much about the weekend aside from the fact that he sees himself as like taking up the mantle of Michael Jackson. Um, and you know, now, maybe he he's certainly not michael jackson level but like it like is he like he's bigger than michael jackson he is the biggest pop hit of all time oh you could say i mean he's bigger in that sense of course he's not never had an album as big as thriller no but you know it's interesting because just from talking to you about the weekend my sense is that you prefer the early weekend. oh absolutely and you know i know that's kind of an unpopular thing to say because like there are a lot these are very those are very problematic works of art lyrically speaking and also like i think sonically they're more innovative um they're more interesting um you know now when i listen to the weekend i like oh this sounds like uh 2008 uh blog rock like blog not blog rock although there is one song chris deville uh from stereo gum mentioned that sounds a little bit like uh clap your hands say yeah less than zero not entirely wrong on that front. See, I got a War on Drugs vibe from okay. that song. That made, that made me think of, like, uh, I Don't Live Here Anymore, the album. Okay. It made me think of this home on, on this house on ice. Oh, that's that's fascinating. See, with The weekend, it, it makes me think about this concept, which I'm going to explain something to the young people listening to the show. There, there used to be a concept called a sellout record, which is what <laughs> would happen when uh, artists from the underground or the indie world signed to a major label and then they made just a super slick and catchy pop record that alienated all their old fans Mm -hmm. and in the the case of the weekend that began with his 2015 record beauty behind the madness which was the record that really catapulted him to pop stardom uh that's when he started collaborating with max martin Mm -hmm. on a lot of his hits, I mean, pretty much like all of his biggest hits have like Max Martin's name somewhere listed among the songwriters mm-hmm. or the producers. He's also had some big hit collaborations with Daft Punk. Um, but uh, I have to say that for me, like when he sold out, if we want to use that term, like, you know, somewhat ironically, <laughs> he got better. Like I like his post sellout work a mm-hmm. lot. Like yeah. when I listen to Trilogy, like that, like that era of Weekend, tend to find it to be kind of tur- like turgid and samey. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I hear you on the, the innovation aspect of those records, but they're just not that fun to listen to. Whereas when he just decided to go for it, rather than, you know, in the trilogy era, he covered Dirty Diana in a very sort of downtrodden, sonically murky kind of way. It was almost yeah. like a postmodern version of that song. And then around Beauty Behind the Madness, he just decided, I'm just going to be Michael Jackson. I'm going to like try to have Michael Jackson-sized hits. Mm-hmm. And um, I've really come around on him during this era. I, I thought After Hours was his best record for me. Mm-hmm. Like That's the record I enjoyed the most. And now Dawn FM mm-hmm. is my favorite weekend record. You know, I, 
I just feel a lot different than you about this album. I I kind of want to call it an instant classic. Wow. Like I think I think this is a great record. It's super addictive to listen to. Like I haven't been able to shut it off because right. I just think there's so many well-crafted songs. You mentioned less than zero, which is in the pole position for me for like best song of the year. Like it's ridiculous to talk <laughs> about that at this moment, but yeah. I just think this album song's got to be the best song of the year. So in this song, it's setting the tone. Like for me, this album, it's kind of at the head. It's like, Hey, what album's going to be better than this for me? Like, I, I feel like that mm. with this record, but you know, like take my breath, you know, it's a great pop banger sacrifice. I mean, this is one song after another. I think it's just such a consistent record. I love the production. I love, again, this idea of him working with Max Martin and 10 Tricks Point Never, meeting those people in the middle, combining it. I think it's such a great aesthetic for him. You know, I think the obvious criticism to make of Dawn FM is that it's a very derivative record. Mm -hmm. Um, And essentially what he did on this album is he took the formula of Blinding Lights and he just made an entire album that's like that. You know, can't which, blame them. <laughs> yeah, which is something you do when you have a song that's been streamed 2.7 billion times. And I hear what you're saying. I could see making the observation that, well, this is maybe in some way a cynical move on this part. But yeah. again, it's such a pleasurable record to listen to. So addictive. I don't know if he's the next Michael Jackson. I've actually referred to him as Methadone Michael Jackson because. I still want to hear Michael Jackson sounding music, but I feel guilty listening to Michael Jackson. And mm. even for all of his like lyrical transgressions, I think we can agree that The Weeknd is uh, a lot better like <laughs> from a problematic standpoint than Michael Jackson is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I think it's a fantastic record. Yeah. Uh, and, and I have to say that for me, like when we talk about pop artists... Mm-hmm. The weekend for me is like one of the most reliable, if not the most reliable. And I don't know how you feel about that. I mean, we don't talk about that world a whole lot. I feel like when I read reviews of some big pop records that there's a lot of, as you say, can't beat them, join them, boosterism that goes on. Uh, but I don't feel like that in the case of this record, just because it is such a pleasurable album. It's kind of impossible to hate unless you just have a problem with The weekend. Yeah. And I, I I enjoy it. Like I enjoy I, I enjoy it. Um, I don't like find myself like a, you use the term addictive. I didn't think like oh man I gotta like clear my schedule and listen to the weekend. I think I'm going to absorb this album throughout the year and kind of come back to it eventually after the initial heat dies down. And I, I do want to point out like you are absolutely correct in that his post. I mean like I I think there. Are, degrees of selling out for the weekend i mean like he was huge from the beginning uh but like going like the very much pop route uh in 2015 like Kissland is just so awful like i i, I still I, like he had really reached the end of that road very very quickly um i still can't believe that we are um talking about the weekend in 2022 like when I think back of like Kissland, I'm like, this guy's this guy's done. Like this, this is complete. Like he is re like the well is already dry, um, and pop will move on because that was the year of like blurred lines and the 2020 experience and like like R and B pop got very happy and we and uh, weddingy again and the weekend just seemed like totally out of step. But nah, he he ended up playing like a bunch of huge. Um, 
outdoor amphitheaters. Like he was still very popular. Um, I got a lot of angry emails from, it was exclusively guys who were, um, mad, you know, it was like, who were mad that I gave Kissland a mediocre review. It's like, no dude, like the, the old school, like you live in a basement, like, uh, type emails. I think that was like the last of that era. One thing I, I, I don't have a read on is to what degree does the typical weekend fan even go beyond beauty behind the madness. Like, is that the uh. first record for a lot of people? Obviously there's people like, like you and me who know him from the beginning of his career. But I wonder if for a lot of, if for a lot of people, if like beauty behind the madness is the first record and then Starboy after hours and, and the new record, just because mm. you're right. He was really successful, but I think Kissland went gold and Beauty Behind the Madness like sold like four million yeah. copies. I mean, it was just like a, he was like indie famous, and now he was famous, famous <laughs> yeah. uh, after that record. Yeah, because in two thousand thirteen, um, like as far as like levels of fame, like he wasn't a headliner at uh, Coachella at that time. Like he was still like a like a, maybe a second liner like type act. But yeah, like in in that time, he was definitely not a headliner. But now it's like yeah, the weekend headlines everywhere he goes. Yeah, and again, I like his. I'm gonna call it his sellout era. No, I think know? this or, is way. This is a way better move for him. And and the, or the Max Martin era. I I just find his uh, uh, music to be like just so much more enjoyable, and it's like giving me what I want mm. uh, from from pop music. I I feel like in terms of this kind of pop, like he's the master of it right now. Um, and I feel like his albums have also gotten more consistent over the years. I, that was always my issue with the weekend. I always yeah. felt like his. He'd have really great singles in the albums themselves. There'd be some filler on there that I wasn't so into. But I really feel like this album and After Hours are, like, pretty solid from top to, to bottom. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I have to say, like, I prefer these last two records to, like, the trilogy era, like, hands down. And maybe I need to go back to the trilogy era because I haven't listened to those records in a while. But I just remember at the time feeling like he's kind of beating this aesthetic into the ground. Absolutely. There's a lot of mid-tempo, kind of like self-pitying misogynist songs yeah. at that time. <laughs> uh, and they're all, like again, like very turgid-sounding synths, uh, you know, uh, very gloomy-sounding. You know, now he's just like, I'm going to make really catchy you know, dance pop jams, essentially. Uh, and it works for him. And I really like it a lot. So, I mean, to me, again, I think this record, it does strike me as a record, too, that for the indie cast listener who does not like pop music, I think this album would translate more so than m- most pop records would. Yeah, this is... Uh, I listened to this on Apple Music and, you know, get, to give a, you know, a corporate shout-out. Um, as far as the production, like, the biggest... Like, if you don't listen to the biggest pop acts... Uh, you probably won't hear Apple Digital Master, uh, which is like a very like Apple Music has these like spatial audio things that like you really get to hear like the panning effects and everything. And yeah, it's really cool to hear uh, the weekend's new album on good headphones uh, using Apple's uh, Digital Master. Like if 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 you if you like me like to listen to a lot of like. Uh, raw shitty sounding rock music it'll be it, it is a change of pace to hear something like this and also if you're into the remembering some guys lifestyle 
this stuff kind of sort of sounds like cut copy in a lot of ways, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, again, because of the one of tricks point never yeah. connection, it grounds it like in an indie aesthetic. So, again, if you're coming from an indie world, like a lot of the synth tones, mm-hmm. uh, I think, will be like catnip. I mean, it's just a really, again, a, for me, it's a very addictive sounding record. And I have to say, too, and this is sort of a minor point on this album, although maybe not so minor, mm-hmm. This is the rare album for me where the spoken word tracks are actually worth listening to. Wow. Like, I don't skip the spoken word tracks. You have Jim Carrey playing a radio DJ on this record. Yeah. And I think he actually does, like, a really good job. You have a Quincy Jones thing, like, where he's telling, like, a pretty messed up story from Seriously. his childhood. So, yeah, spoken word tracks even, I think, work on this album. It's just, like, a really great package, I think, from beginning to end. So... Yeah, again, it's it's silly or ridiculous at this moment to be talking about the best albums of 2022, but I feel like this is going to be in the mix. Yeah. For me, at least, as we move forward. And, and by the way, Abel, if you're listening, which you might be, like, give us five stars, give us a shout on uh, your Twitter or whatever, like, you know, just, 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 just let the world know that you fuck with IndieCast. now reached the part of our episode that we call recommendation corner we haven't done this in a while no we haven't because no music has been worth discussing (laughs) exactly so good to be back in recommendation corner ian and i are both going to recommend something that we're into this week ian why don't you go first all right so uh this album actually comes out in about a week although i want to get ahead of the game here because there's a couple of albums coming out in the next couple of weeks that i want to you know uh talk about in subsequent episodes but um this week a uh, new single came out from the Anxious album. It's a it's a band from Connecticut uh, on Run for Cover Records. They pretty they bring together like if you like fest music, if you like oh I like pop punk, I like hardcore, I like org core, I like uh, easy core. Anxious, they're a band for you. Their debut album, Little Green House, it was produced by Chris Teddy from The World Is a Beautiful Place, and I'm No Longer Afraid to Die. Uh, they share members with the band called One Step Closer, who we've talked about uh, on previous recommendation corners. This is more in a kind of a pop realm. Like some of it sounds a little like Jimmy World or like the starting line or at other points, maybe like the more uh, catchy parts of the Fiddlehead album. Um, obviously not <laughs> not inventing any new sounds or styles, but I think it's... Um, reflective of how in at least in the hardcore emo uh realm it's not about like making huge innovations but like bringing together uh styles that may have been separated in times past because you know you may have listened to the gorilla biscuits and you may listen to uh super chunk but you probably wouldn't listen to both of them at the same time uh this album is a little something for everyone um it's a half hour it breezes by very catchy songs, very spirited. They even have like the acoustic ballad at song five, like any good emo album should. So uh, anxious, good band. Yeah, I've I've enjoyed this band too. I think they're good. They're a good melodic band, mm-hmm. uh, balancing sort of the punk side and more of like, I guess, like a melodic pop type yeah. guitar pop feel, which I always 
enjoy in that realm. Uh, the band I'm going to talk about is from upstate New York. They're called Gorilla Toss, mm. and they announced their new record. Uh, it's going to be coming out in March. It's called Famously Alive, and they released the single from that record called Cannibal Capital, and I like it a lot. I've been listening to the promo of this record a lot. And uh, this is a band that, like, I think could be at the, uh, you know, sort of the the shared space in the concentric circles between me and Ian because Ooh. they're a punk band, but they have jam band influences. They bring in funk and dance music. They also incorporate jamming into their sets, and they make a big deal out of playing mm-hmm. unique sets every night. Uh, they started encouraging tapers at their shows like, several years ago. Uh, but they also just play with a lot of energy, you know, that you would want from a punk band. Mm-hmm. And... Um, their upcoming record, it's their fifth album overall, but it's going to be their first on Sub Pop. So I would imagine that it'll get maybe more of a push than their uh, other four records have. Uh, but again, it's just really great music. Um, it kind of has like a post-punk feel a little bit. Although again, a lot of punk bands or post-punk bands, they don't have like spectacular rhythm sections or sometimes the rhythm sections are a little substandard. This band really grooves, they really cook, and it really kind of brings, I think, their music to another level. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm looking forward to playing this album a lot in the months ahead. And uh, for now, I would just recommend that you all go to your streaming platform of choice, check out Cannibal Capital, the new single. It's really good. I also have to do a quick shout-out because there's a new Destroyer album that was announced this week, and uh, there's the new single from that. Uh, it's called Tin Toretto, It's You. Uh, really good uh, single. Extremely destroyed. Like that is the most That's destroyer very song title you could come up with. And the new album is called Labyrinthitis. Comes out also on March 25th. And if you like the last Destroyer record, where he was moving in this kind of like synth pop direction, um, he goes even farther on the new album. There's a, quite a few songs that kind of sound like New Order, but like with Destroyer vocals and lyrics on them. And uh, I started listening to it this week when I got the promo and uh, really liking it a lot. Destroyer does not miss. So go check out the new single. I'm sure we'll be talking about that at a later date. You're, you are like Destroyer agnostic, correct? Uh, I, 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 I really like Kaput. I love Rubies. Um, I think that Destroyer is a band that I enjoy but also enjoy making fun of. Um yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll listen to this album. I'm definitely down. Like, I, I look forward to our episode where we discuss Destroyer and whether they've hit the five album uh, test. Uh, but yeah, I, I wasn't thrilled with this new song. Um, you know, I think it also just kind of came out on the same day as a lot of like hardcore bands that I'm into, like the new Soul Glow song. We'll be talking about them, I'm sure, in a future episode. Um, and it just kind of seemed like old guard. Uh, against you know the new stuff that I'm into, but I'll, I'll probably look. I'll probably come around by the time the album comes out. Well, we will talk about that on a future episode. I look forward to that. For now, we must bid you all farewell. So thank you for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. <laughs>